Good to see everyone out this morning. If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to open it to uh, Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. We're going to be starting our study in just a moment in Genesis chapter 2. But if you've been with us for the past couple of weeks, what you know is that we have been going through a series, or at least we started a series, on the topic of authority. And um, obviously that, uh, that is a topic that, especially here, the Christians here, we, lo- we really focus on that quite a bit. And that is because we believe what, what, what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, which has been kind of the thematic verse of this entire series, is, is the idea that whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. We firmly believe that. And what I've been trying to do is just put together a, a series of what I hope are very simple, foundational, basic lessons that help us understand why that's so important, first of all, but also um, how exactly we do that. And in this lesson, what I want to do is just kind of get more into that part of of the study, which is how do we understand God's will? Uh, And that is, incidentally, the question that I want to try and answer this morning. Um, First of all, can we know God's will? Spoiler alert, we can and God has made that clear for a very long time. Uh, and what I want to do, as I said already this morning, is, is, is try to answer that question of how has he done this? Uh, what does he expect from us? Um, and, and then uh, end with a little bit of, of application. And so that is basically the, the layout of this lesson. Those will be our three main points. Is that God's consistent expectation for man is that we act on what he says first of all. And that he is not of God of confusion, second, but fully capable to communicate his will, his will clearly, his desires clearly, to the point that we can understand what he's saying. And thirdly, this is dependent, though, on whether or not we are willing to listen. And so we'll, we'll develop those as we continue on throughout the lesson this morning. But as we just mentioned, the first thing that I want to look at is the fact that there is a divine expectation from the very beginning, that we do understand. Man has always been expected to understand. At least you see that inherent within the uh, implied throughout the scriptures, is that God says something, and after he says something to man for them to do, he doesn't sit around and say, he doesn't sit around and, and, and not expect them to accomplish that goal. Uh, he doesn't sit around expecting them to not obey. Rather, you see the opposite. He says something, he gives instruction, and therefore, the divine expectation is man follows that to the letter. Uh, and so from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 2, we've been in Genesis a lot because we're still, and even tonight we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 22, uh, as I, as I kind of indicated last week. But in Genesis chapter 2, from the very beginning, God gives a, a rule, a law, to man when they are um, in the garden with him. It says in verse 17, uh, or beginning in verse 16, that God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. Now, we've actually kind of uh, alluded to this a couple of times in the past few weeks, but I wanted to actually look at the verses at the very beginning of chapter 3 when the serpent comes in and tries to tempt Eve and successfully does so, unfortunately. Listen to Eve's response at the very beginning when the serpent comes to her. Serpent was, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field in Genesis 3 and verse 1, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Now look at her response in verse 2. 
from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Now, does it seem, even though uh, Eve, it doesn't seem to have been there at the time when God gives Adam this, this law, that uh, when he says this to Adam, this is an expectation for all uh, to actually follow, even though Eve comes after Adam. But does it seem like the intent, or does it seem like the instruction, uh, uh, the intent of the instruction gets lost in translation? No. Actually, even though Adam's not there, she's able to almost verbatim repeat what God has said in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17. Uh, and so, just from the outset, what I want to find is that even from the very beginning, there is this, this notion that God commands something, he gives instruction, and very early on, man is expected by God himself to follow it and to be able to understand it even more so. Going beyond that, uh, past the beginning, you look at the, new, uh, the old covenant, rather. We'll get to the new covenant. But in the old covenant... The, under the law of Moses in Jeremiah chapter 9 very quickly just a couple of passages that I want to look at there are many more passages that we could look at but I've been trying to do a better job about making sure that we just hit the most essential uh, things as we go through these points but in Jeremiah chapter 9 in verse 23 God is uh, uh, through the prophet Jeremiah is speaking to his people about uh, you know how they have been behaving and comparing that or maybe contrasting that to how they should be behaving behaving like God's people. In verse 23, he talks about what they should be boasting about. In verse 23 of Jeremiah chapter 9, it says, Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. So, even with under the law of Moses, you know, something that sometimes um, Christians tend to look at in, in maybe kind of a pejorative way, and they, and they don't necessarily like the idea of looking at all these ordinances, all these principles that God has laid out so very uh, finely, um, all the way from, from Exodus through Deuteronomy. It's something that he comes back to frequently because I think one indication of this is he, he's trying to say, hey, you can, you can get this. Um, but, but what does he say to boast of? I want you to boast of the fact that you know me, that you can understand me. That's the point, uh, at least within this passage. Over in Deuteronomy chapter 30, it, it becomes abundantly clear. Deuteronomy chapter 30 in verse 11, Moses himself testifies that this is the case, that man can remember and has been able to for all time. It says in verse 11 of Deuteronomy chapter 30, For this commandment which I command you today is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will go up to heaven for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will cross the sea for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it? But what does it say in verse 14? The word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may observe it. Uh, skipping down to verse 19. It, he says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, and by holding fast to him. For this is your life and the length of your days, that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. Now, we're going to come back to this uh, uh, passage uh, uh, later on in the, in the lesson but just remember what Moses says here, that even all the way back when he has given them all of this law that they are supposed to follow, he gives it to them, 
<laughs> not so that they could just ignore it. In fact, when you look throughout the prophets uh, in Israel and Judah's history, even in, within the divided kingdom, especially in the divided kingdom, when you see the prophets come and talk to God's people, the, one of the main pitches is, you have, gone you have gone so far away from my word, it's foreign to you. I love what Hosea, I mean, I don't love it, but, but it is very impactful. When Hosea, as he's preaching uh, God's message to the people, he says, I've written 10,000 precepts of my law, and yet they consider it a strange thing. What a travesty of what it was supposed to look like with God's chosen people, with God's chosen nation. Um, and so I think that that continues even into our lives today. I think that this is just reemphasized in the new covenant, this idea that, that we are supposed to understand, we're expected to understand his word. Over in Jeremiah chapter 31, in the Old Testament, uh, you see prophecies alluding to what will come next, this more glorious covenant that God was going to bring forward. In Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning in verse 31, <clears throat> as he speaks about this new covenant that's to come, he says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them declares the Lord, for I will forgive their forgiveness and their sin I will remember no more. And so as he's preaching, as he's talking about this covenant that is to come, this new covenant that is to come, once more you see implied within the idea of the fact that they can even obey, they, they can understand it. Uh, if I haven't made the point already, just look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. It says, therefore, be careful of how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish. And what is he indicating? Be wise. And what is wisdom? Understand what the will of the Lord is. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more in just a moment. But that idea of, of God's will, when we talk about his will, what we mean is his desires. What is it that God desires? What is it that God wants from us? What is his will? And Paul says, and all the scriptures say, you can understand it. Not only that, but we're commanded to understand God's will. Not only is it a divine expectation, which should be more than enough. It is a commandment from uh, God himself. Well, finally, before we get into the next point of, of how God communicates to us, I just want to make a, another point very, very quickly. That God does not communicate to us in a way that, it, that we can't understand or that you might see on the screen in an unintelligible way. And what I mean by that is he has never spoken to such a degree. And th this isn't to say that when you look at some of the prophecies, especially in the Old Testament and the apocalyptic language in Revelation even. That's not to say that sometimes we come to certain revelation, parts of his revelation and we find that it's somewhat difficult to discern. It's kind of hard to understand. But even when in those moments when we're like, I'm not exactly sure what that's talking about, we still understand, we can still read the language that he gives to us, the language that he uses. Uh, it's not like we're reading a foreign language is what I'm trying to say. It, 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 we, we, uh, we're still reading English words, or at least the English translation. And so... It's never been that God has, has you know, a lot, a lot of times in, in the religious world, you'll see people speaking in tongues. The problem is no one can understand them. God does not talk to us in that way. 
in fact, his revealed will, the will that he says, I want you to know, I've given it to you in a way that you can understand and that you can look at. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 33, it says that God is not a God of, confu- a God of confusion. That is absolutely the case. You go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in verse 11, beginning, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, and it says, For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no, no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And over in 2 Timothy chapter 3, I meant to come here uh, before we got to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, but both of them have to do with, uh, uh, they, uh, they both help us understand exactly what, what God is trying to say. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, another familiar passage that we've looked at a, a couple of times in the past few weeks. But all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So God says... I have given you my thoughts. I've, I've, God did not have to tell us what he wanted us to do. He, ne- he didn't have to give us the prophets to show us this new covenant that was to come. He didn't have to give us any indication of what he was planning on doing. But he did. By God's grace, he did. Because he loved us, he did. And so, with that being the case, we understand that through inspiration, that through his spoken word, God breathed, uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we have his uh, mind, we have his will given to us, as we saw in First Corinthians chapter two. So he doesn't speak to us in ways that we ultimately never will be able to to even uh, understand. So that way we can obey him. No, he wants us to obey him. So he speaks in ways that we can understand. Now to the next point, this idea. Uh, someone may ask, how does God communicate to us? Well, we already have a, a degree of understanding from Second Timothy chapter three. He's uh, revealed His uh, word, His will through prophets throughout the ages, through the Holy Spirit, and now we've uh, through His Son. That is the final word on the matter, as you see in Hebrews at the very, very beginning of Hebrews. But you know, as you think about this even more so, how does God communicate to us? How does He estab- How are we supposed to establish authority based upon His standards? Well, I think that God very simply communicates in the same way that we do, in the same ways that we do. Now, you've seen, I have a few words on the screen, and you've, many of you have probably seen this before, and so this will be reviewed for you. That's fine. But you have heard before uh, these three aspects of how you establish, how you communicate authority, communicate things that you want. And you have uh, that uh, apostolic example, direct commands, and necessary inferences. Now, I really like how Brother Dorn Moyer um, has, has written about this, and actually in the bulletin I put uh, one of his articles titled, Where is the Will of God? It's a very good article, and it's, it just goes right along with what we're talking about this morning. Um, but this, this whole point really is, is kind of, um, uh, j- just full disclaimer, I got uh, a lot of this from 
his book, Mind Your King, which I think is a fantastic study on the authority of God, and I would recommend getting that because there's a lot of good things that he develops even more than what we're going to talk about this morning. But I like the way that he talks about these three, uh, these three ways of communicating your, what you want, what someone wants, and that is by showing or telling or implying something to someone. Uh, and actually what we find is that this happens throughout the Bible frequently. This happens from God. God speaks in the exact same ways and you see it in action in the Bible. And uh, one of the examples that, that you can find this in is in Acts chapter 10. And we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 10 because what you find is uh, just an illustration of all three of these things within the same story. Acts chapter 10, <clears throat> you remember... Uh, this story because in the middle of Acts, this is when uh, uh, Cornelius, who's a good, he's a faithful man, he's a centurion, he's a Gentile, and he is really trying to do God's will. He wants to be a part of this kingdom. And so Peter, God uses Peter to basically uh, show that the Gentiles, the gospel has gone to them as well, and that the gospel is spreading much further than they even maybe initially realized or initially were so excited about. Now, we're not going to read the whole thing because we just don't have the time, but uh, again, you remember the story that Peter comes and he, and he uh, kind of preaches about this. Um, but specifically, there are a few verses that you find uh, what uh, examples, commands, and inferences uh, that we find within this story. So beginning in Acts chapter 10 in verse 9, what you find is an example of an example of God showing something to Peter to try and communicate something to him. Acts chapter 10 and verse 9, it says on the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, but he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance, in verse 11, and he saw the sky opened up, and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground, and there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals, and crawling creatures of the earth, and birds of the air. A voice came to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time, What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now, if you remember this story, what you understand is Peter didn't get it at the very beginning. He, he, this is something that he actually had to uh, contemplate for a while after actually receiving the vision. And so he doesn't understand from the very beginning, just like we were talking about earlier. There are sometimes moments throughout the scriptures that we won't understand immediately. But... Does it seem like Peter has no idea what God was saying whatsoever? No. He knew that, uh, as, as, as Luke describes in Acts chapter 10, he sees a vision, he tells exactly what's in the vision, so it's not like he's just completely lost. And it was just a bunch of, you know, gobbledygook that was spoken. You know, he, understand the, he understood the words that uh, were being spoken to him. Uh, so you move on past that. Not only do you see Peter... Um, uh, God speaking to Peter, trying to communicate something to him through an illustration, but you see God, in, even within the vision, making a command to Peter. Uh, in Acts chapter 10 and verse 19, it says, While Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Uh, but get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? 
And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. So he invited them in and gave them lodging. And on the next day, he got up and went away with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Now, you know, I know that this seems... This is all probably very simple to each one of you, and I'm glad that that is the case. But one of the reasons we're going through this is because a lot of times it feels like people just simply, they have a really hard time understanding just how we discern God's authority, how we discern authority just in general. One of the points I want to make within all of this is all of these things that we're talking about, these are just, this is the universal way that people communicate. And because God created us to understand him, I think it makes sense that we speak in the very same ways. But seeing how God does this himself helps us see that this isn't just some arbitrary rules that someone made up. No, we're just, this is just how we uh, decipher information that is given to us. This is how we discern what, is, uh, what we are supposed to do when instruction is given to us. But I will just say that when it comes to a direct command or when someone tells you to do something, that is usually much more, <laughs> that is usually much easier to understand. You don't even necessarily have to understand what you're doing. When, when your parent, you know, when my dad came up to me and he told me to do something, I learned very quickly that he didn't have to tell me why. He just gave me the instruction. He gave me a command. He demanded something from me. And if I wanted to know why, he said, well, you know what? You don't have to. Just do it. And you, very quickly I learned. Well, he, he wouldn't say very quickly I learned, but, but you, you, you get the point. You don't necessarily have to understand fully why this instruction is being given or, or uh, you know, just the full intent behind it. But you can do it pretty easily. Um, and, and so this is probably the one that, that would be the the easiest to explain or the easiest to understand is that when someone tells us to do something well then we can understand what they're saying and and peter obeyed what was required of him uh obviously as we see within the text but then you move on past just a direct command or god telling peter what to do skipping down in the text to to verse 24 or, or rather picking up i guess in acts chapter 10 it says on the following day he entered caesarea now cornelius was waiting for for them and had called together his relatives and close friends and when peter entered cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshiped him but peter raised him up saying stand up i too am just a man as he talked with them he entered and found many people assembled and he said to them you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet, God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. Now, once again, you come back to that idea of God make, giving Peter this illustration, this vision, so that what, because he's trying to teach Peter something, right? And so, once more, he says, God has shown me something. But, even when he, when he received the vision, God did not expressly state what the intent of it was. But what does Peter do? He inferred the forced conclusion. And so when we talk about necessary inferences, what we're talking about is forced conclusions, not just conclusions that we are forcing ourselves. But what is God trying to teach us here within the passage, within the text? And so uh, I just wanted to go through this, um, kind of follow that example uh, from the book, because I thought it was very helpful just for me in just seeing how God does communicate just like us. He doesn't do it in a random way. Uh, that, that would confuse us. As we already said, God is not a God of confusion. But he does it in a way where his intent, where the, uh, the goal can actually be accomplished. And that should be encouraging to us, you know, mere mortals. We can understand the word of God. Um, and, and, and 
and fulfill the goal that he has for us. And, and so as I go through all this, I understand that the purpose of this passage isn't to explain how God communicates his authority, but it does indirectly display exactly that. Now, one of the things that I would uh, bring up, as we were already just kind of talking about, this isn't just a random thing or creed that men have created. This is the universal way that people communicate to each other. Now, one thing that Brother Moyer mentions is if you think that there is another way, if you have an objection to that, then please let me know that. Communicate that to me without telling me, showing me, or implying it to me. Good luck. <laughs> now, this, what, what I'm trying to do here is just boil things down to show this is how we all communicate and therefore this, this, is, this is how God communicates. We communicate this way because God created us to understand Him. Um, and we can understand each other in the very same ways. And so it's not as complicated as people act like when it comes to, well, can we really know what the, what the Word of God is trying to tell us? Yes, we can. It's always been that way. And it always will be that way. Um, the problem really arises uh, when it comes to whether or not we want to actually hear what God is saying. The problem, I think, has always been that uh, not that man can't know what God wants, but that he does not want to. Over in Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, I said that we were going to come back to um, some, uh, or at least the, the notion of what Moses is talking about in Deuteronomy chapter 13. In Romans chapter 10, Paul is actually quoting a lot of Deuteronomy 30, what we just read uh, at the very beginning of the lesson. He quotes that, I think, to make kind of a sarcastic point. I, I love going through the book of Romans because I, what Paul is doing all throughout is trying to answer what he presumes will be the objection that maybe either the Jews or the Gentiles would make, and predominantly, especially in the first half of Romans, especially the Jewish audience that would be uh, reading this letter. But especially when you get to chapter 10, I think he gets just so very sarcastic because he starts talking about whether or not you know, Israel, how could they have known that this was coming? So beginning in verse 5 of Romans chapter 10, uh, or rather, yeah, in verse 5, For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on law shall live by that righteousness. So from the very beginning, he's actually quoting Leviticus chapter 18 here, I believe it's verse 5, but he's saying, you know this. This is something you already know, that, that God wanted you to live righteously, and then he expected it. But then he moves on to uh, in verse six. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows: Do not say faith, uh, or do not say in your heart, "Who will ascend into heaven?" You remember when when Moses was saying that, and, and just remember the context in Deuteronomy chapter thirty. He's saying that they did not have an excuse. When when God brings these curses upon you, you don't get to say, "Oh, oh, how could we have known?" Oh, we were just, we were, we were too inferior. There's no way that we could have understood what he wanted. Even Moses said, you don't get to, set, you don't get to use that excuse. Because the word is very near you. If, just refer back to Deuteronomy 30 and verse 14 if you can't remember. But what does Paul add into this? What does he say is the true context of this? So, who will ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down. In verse 7, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead? But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart, that is, the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart of a person believes, for with the heart of a person believes, excuse me, 
resulting in righteousness and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation for the scripture says whoever believes in him will not be disappointed for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all abounding in riches for all who call on him for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed and so again I think a lot of these questions are kind of sarcastic because remember he's talking to those who did receive the very oracles of God the very word of God so how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? This is, again, an argument that he's saying that, is, that some Jews would probably make. How will they believe in him who they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? So maybe someone could say, well, who was sent to us? In verse 15, how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as, just as it is written, uh, quoting Isaiah, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So you, you're trying to act like God didn't actually send these people. Well, come back to the scriptures which you believe in, which you have espoused your entire life. He has sent people. So you don't get to say that he hasn't sent the good news before, so that way you could understand what his will was. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Now, especially as you talk about calling on the name of the Lord, what you actually see, especially throughout um, all of the scriptures, um, and Brother Marshall McDaniel has a really good lesson on this, this idea of calling on the name of the Lord, it involves uh, more than just a mere you know, in verbal incantation. It involves true obedience. And so there's, uh, th th what this calls for is, is full obedience, doing everything that God says to become uh, a part of his kingdom, to be saved, to reach salvation. But especially with regards to what we're talking about, I love how Paul makes it so very clear that if, if they had no excuse, who did not get to see the full uh, glory of what was to come through Christ, if they have no excuse, you much less so. Because guess what? Christ has come. And he was the very depiction. He was the very fulfillment of that law. And you were so far away from it. It was so foreign to you that when the law was right before you, represented in flesh, you didn't know him, but it should have been that you could. It was like he was. A, it was like he was a familiar friend. It, he wasn't because the, at least uh, the majority of Israel in the first century they were unfaithful and they weren't uh, like Simeon and they weren't like even the disciples. They weren't like uh, faithful Anna in the temple in Luke chapter two. Rather, the majority tended to be those who just did not want to see or hear the gospel, the good news that Isaiah even preaches about, all the way back, way back before Jesus was born. And so all of this just to say, um, it has never, ever, ever been that, that man has had a valid excuse or a valid reason to act like or indicate there's no way for us to know. I hope that looking at this history will help us today when someone says, oh, we're just so far removed from when the, when the Bible was written. We're so far, far from, removed from when you know, all these translations were put into place and just so far removed, especially from 2,000 years ago. Do you really think that this still holds the same level of, of value and it still needs to be held up just as highly? 100%. Because it never mattered what time frame God gave his word. He always expected man to follow it. And so that means even 2,000 years removed, I'm going to follow it as closely as possible. We can know the, the will of God and we can know what he wants for us to do. And so, as I said just a moment ago, it comes down to who is willing to listen. 
I, I, I don't recommend the New Living Translation. I don't think that it's, it's a very helpful translation. I think they take, uh, really take a lot of liberty with how they translate the word. But I do like what they say in this particular verse in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 17. You remember that Paul there says, understand the will of the Lord. The New Living Translation says that understand what the Lord wants you to do. And as we said a moment ago, that is exactly what we mean when we talk about the will of the Lord. What does God want? What is his desires? In fact, you look at the same word for will there, you find in Ephesians chapter 2 in verse 3, as Paul is talking about how uh, the, these Christians, how they once formerly lived, in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires or the will of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. And so here he's just talking about how they used to live and how they should no longer live. But what is he saying? You are indulging the will of the flesh. You are indulging the desires of the flesh. Now, for Christians, for those who are now a part of God's kingdom, we are no longer to indulge the will or the desires of the flesh, but we are to indulge the desires of God. And I really like using that that term especially this idea of indulging you know we in our culture are especially good at that because you just go to Kroger and it seems like a bag of Doritos is much cheaper than a week's long worth of healthy food and so what do you do we're going to grab a bag of Cheetos or, or Doritos or something like that and what do I do whenever I get that bag of Doritos or especially when it's sweets you know so Oreos is probably the thing for me I don't know what it is for you but Oreos that, that doesn't last the weekend. You know, we'll go on Sunday. It's gone by Sunday night. What do I do? I indulge to a terrible degree. Probably to a sinful degree if that's the case. But th that, that's the idea of indulging. And we use that term every now and then when we're trying to say, hey, I, just, I need to take a load off. I need to just have some moment to myself. We're indulging in some free time. It needs to be that no longer do we... Do we look forward in the same way that we used to look forward to indulging in those really frivolous or whether it not be frivolous, just recreational activity that has nothing to do with God maybe? It needs to be that now we indulge the desires of God. We indulge in the will of God. That is what we want to do. Now for a lot of people that's just not the case. They, don't, they just simply do not want to do the wills of the Father, or to please Him in, this, in the same way that Jesus did, in the same way that we are supposed to do. Uh, and I would just add to this that you can listen without necessarily seeing the point. Um, if you're a parent, you probably have a lot of good examples of this. I know my dad has a, a lot of really good examples of this, that you can, you, know, you can hear what the person is saying, but it is clear <laughs> that they have no desire to actually understand the intent of why you're saying that. And so, you know, you, you can, you're, you're, trying to, uh, you're trying to help, uh, you know, your son understand why they need to be careful while they're chopping wood with a very sharp axe. This is not something you play around with. This is not something that, that you get to just, you know, do whatever you want with. This has a specific purpose, and this is the only thing that I want you to do with it. And, you know, all the while, I was just like, I got it, I got it. I understand you, sharp edge goes to the wood, you cut it, that's good, that's it. All the while, he may not understand the purpose, the intent of why you're giving them that instruction. The reason you're giving him that instruction is because you want to make sure he's safe. And if he does go outside of this purpose that you have intended for him to use that axe, he could cause a lot of damage. And he could cause, in, in fact, irreparable damage, perhaps. And, and so that's not the way we are supposed to be when we come to God's word, although there are many people who do do that. In 1 John chapter 4, John makes this very clear. 
This idea that if you're not willing, you won't hear what God has to say. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 6, he says, We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. Just understand that what he's talking about is a choice. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And so, that is, so we have to desire to do his will if, if we really want. Generally, people don't care to listen when they don't have that love already instilled. In John chapter 14, very quickly, or John chapter 8 and verse 47, it says, He who is of God, this is Jesus speaking, hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. So sometimes you'll hear, especially Calvinists, use verses like this to say, well, this is God making choices, saying that this man, I'm not going to allow him to hear. But this man, okay, I'll allow him to hear. That's never what God has done. Rather, what you have is people, and obstinate people say, I refuse to hear, kind of like Pharaoh, kind of like Israel, especially when God sends the prophets. And he says, okay, you don't want to see? I'm going to flood your eyes with all of the evidences. I'm going to flood your ears with everything you need to hear. And that's why they don't see, because they don't want to. They're like what Isaiah prophesies about, those people that kind of put their ears in, their, or their, their fingers in their ears and closing their eyes, and they just, you know, la, 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 I'm not listening like a little child. That's why people don't know the will of God, because they don't want to. And they use an excuse, really, to ultimately say, well, I can't be held accountable. And what, what we find is, you absolutely will be held accountable. Finally, how is it that we are supposed, if this is the case, to listen to God today? Uh, in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 3, as Paul's talking about the revelation of God that has been given to him and the apostles, he says that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief... By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in, an, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. So even here he talks about how God has always made sure that his people, that his creation, can know what he wants. Through, through prophets in the Old Testament, through even direct revelation to people like Adam, Abraham, but especially now, even to the apostles, they have that revelation, and now I can... God has given them the key, Jesus, to unlock the mystery of, of the Old Testament. And that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul says, I believe, in Colossians chapter 1. And so, how do we listen today? How do we hear the words of God today? Well, you can very simply go, like Paul says, and read to understand. A lot of times people come to God really just wanting to talk. And so I, I'm, I'm all for making sure that people are praying every single day and praying to God. But sometimes, many times, you have Christians, sound Christians, who will go and only talk to God, but never sit down to listen to Him. And that's a problem. This isn't just an issue that, that you know, plagues, you know, secular people. This isn't just an issue that plagues the religious world who we, who we understand. You know, they look at all of these texts, but they don't really want to get to the meat of it. They don't really actually apply these things sincerely. This affects even us when we are people who only want to speak and never sit down and really hush up and listen to God. So the question is, do you want to know the will of God? If you want that, you can. And I will just say again, I know that this may have been review for some of you, but there's a chance that for some of you, it hasn't been a review. Maybe it's just new. Or maybe it's the refresher that we needed to understand this notion that we can't understand. No matter 
what the case may be, no matter who you are, when you come to the Bible, you cannot say that God has, made, that God has not rather made his desires and his will known to us. He's made it abundantly clear from beginning to end. And incidentally, his will for how we become a part of his kingdom is incredibly clear as well. So you want to know how to become a Christian. It's not like God has made that, even that vague, or in some nebulous area. No, even there, he makes that even more clear all throughout. And you can read a book like Romans. We just read about one thing that he requires of us, that confession, confessing that he is confessing kind of allegiance, pledging allegiance to him, to the king. That we believe everything that he says and take that over all else, using that to repent of you know, the old man, putting Christ on in baptism, and trying to make sure that we live by his authority from that point onward to the day of our death. So the question is, are you willing to listen? Not to me, not to anybody else, but are you willing to listen to the will of God that he has made clear and known to us? If you are subject to the invitation of Christ, Christ, please let your need be made known. Come forward as we stand and as we sing.